0: Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. A very special episode this week. I'm joined by husband and wife writers Graham Cintzian and Anne Buist. Now this is a cracking yarn. If you're new to the podcast, the Camino de Santiago is an ancient pilgrimage across Europe, culminating in the pilgrim's arrival at the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela in northwest Spain, where, it's said, the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred. People have walked the way of St. James for centuries, lured by the promise of enlightenment. Graham Simpson is the author of The Rosie Project, which has sold more than three and a half million copies worldwide, Mm. The Rosie Effect and The Best of Adam Sharp. Anne Buist is Chair of Women's Health at the Women's Mental Health at the University of Melbourne and author of the Natalie King Psychological Thrillers. They live together in Melbourne and they've written a book together. It's called Two Steps Forward, a novel of mature love and self-discovery set on the Camino. Graham and Anne are on the line. Welcome, pilgrims. Thank
1: you very much, Dan. Yeah, thanks for
0: having us. We'll get to the book shortly, but first, can I ask you, Anne, firstly, where did you first hear or where did you both first hear about the Camino de Santiago and when?
2: Look, it was about 2010, and we were staying in central France, and I noticed a scallop shell on a lamppost and asked someone what it was, and sure enough, it was one of the many scallop shells that go through Europe, um, sending pilgrims towards Santiago.
1: A-, a signpost, and it was, of course, on one of the feeder routes. Um, I mean, I- I'm sure as your listeners, most of your listeners will be across this, but when people talk about the Camino de Santiago, they're generally talking about... The um, Camino Frances, the French way from Saint John Pierre de Port through to Santiago de Compostela, but fairly obviously the, the pilgrims did not all start there in the old days, and there are feeder routes all over Europe. And we found we were on the chemin de Cluny, which is one of the feeder routes, which feeds into the chemin de Puy, which is the the most common French route, and onto onto Saint John Pierre de Port.
0: Indeed, you walked over two thousand kilometres in eighty-seven days in in twenty eleven from Cluny to La Puy then St. Jean-Pierre Port over the Pyrenees to join the Camino del Norte, finishing on the Camino Primitivo. Can I ask you both, are you religious people? Are you spiritual people?
1: No is the short answer. Look, no to religious. So Anne, and and I would say I'm not a particularly spiritual person, but Anne may wish to, to have her view on that.
2: Yeah, look, I, I, we're certainly not religious um, and no background in Catholicism, so I have to say the history of the church and religion kind of well, it hits you over the head, and I found it fascinating. I mean, the, the sort of the, the hospitals that used to be there, and some are still there as other things that, you know, to look after the pilgrims, and one of my favourite places was Conch, where we stayed in the Abbey, and really that dominates the whole town, and the, the the path goes quite out of the way, really, to get there. But this was an abbey that took in pilgrims, fed them um, and and healed or tried to heal them when they were on their way and protect them briefly before they went on. And I found that a very uh, spiritual experience, I guess. It was the, well, on the first walk we did, it was the only place I went to anything religious um, and was blessed. And on the way out of Conk. You back then, anyway. You pulled a, a a bell on the other side of the mountain on your way out, and the bells of the abbey rang back to you. And look, it really felt it, so, that something religious or spiritual was really looking after us. It was a really magic,
1: magic wow. moment.
0: Wow, I've yeah. never heard that yeah, before. I'm, How lovely!
1: Yeah, it was really quite a special moment, and I think that even if you weren't religious, um, you can't separate religion from some of the places. Um, uh, like conch on the walk, and and to try to ignore that part would be the most important part of the walk, even for an historical or or just atmospheric aspect.
0: Yeah, but you, you can still do a pilgrimage without um, being a pilgrim. Well, no, you can't do a pilgrimage without being a pilgrim, but you don't necessarily have to be a religious pilgrim, do you?
2: No, look, we met some people who were very much Catholic and doing it for those that reason, but not a majority by any means. Means a lot of people were doing it for spiritual reasons, and these days when you go to get your Compostela and show your book with all the stamps in it, you're asked if it's spiritual. You don't you don't have to say it was religious.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so so let me then ask you, and we'll get to the book in a moment. As I said, but I mentioned in the introduction, the Camino is often associated with people seeking enlightenment. Was there was there a light bulb moment on your Camino where you thought there's a book in this?
2: Um, I spent a lot of the the walk thinking I'm not changing or, or the history isn't affecting me as much as I thought it was going to, but, um, the light bulb moment in many ways came two days before we finished when Graham asked me, well, have you changed? Everyone says the Camino changes you. And I said, no. And then I walked a little bit longer and said, oh, well, I have decided to go to work part-time and go back to writing fiction. Um, (laughs) And and so the more I thought about it, I thought, well, actually, yes, this walk has changed me a lot um, and and gave me some insights into some grief that I'd been dealing with, um, which ended up in Zoe's character. Uh, But, yes, it it certainly ended up with this book in many ways because – I'd had two books to the last phase at Random House back in like twenty five years ago, had then got into academe and, and sort of left fiction behind, but I really never left it behind in my heart and wanted to come back to it. So that's what I finally did after the, the Camino in twenty eleven.
1: But there was there was a, a more very specific thing that happened was in the first two weeks of the walk we only met when we were on the Shaman de Clooney, we only met one other walker by day or by night because we'd started off in winter and it's a relatively less frequented route. And this guy was a 19-year-old Belgian man. And once he discovered we were both aspiring writers, he said, well, look, obviously you've got to write a book um, set on the Camino together. And because he'd noted that we were perhaps a little more affectionate towards each other than his parents were, even though we were in that age group, he said it should be a love story about old people.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you remember where that was? Where that where he had that conversation? What town you were in? Um, we wouldn't
1: we wouldn't have been in the town. We would have been out on the out on the uh, out on the trail. And gee, would have probably been somewhere near Saint John, Saint Maurice, that sort of that sort of place. Yeah. So between Clooney and La so the
2: same sort of area where our characters meet Bernard.
0: Ah, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm going to get to that. I'll get, well, now, now's a good time to, to, to do it. It, it. It's the story of Martin. Two steps forward is the story of Martin, a British engineer, divorcee, and Zoe, a recently widowed artist, who meet for the first time on the Camino. How much of it is based on your journey together when you walked? Oh.
1: The characters, um, I don't know. The, the the actual timetable of the, the itinerary is almost exactly the same as our itinerary. So that made it easy for us. So the route that Zoe and Martin follow is the same route we followed, and virtually allowing for the two of them getting ahead of each other in that time. Um, broadly speaking, it's the same itinerary. Um but obviously, you know, we'd been together for you know 25 years before we did this walk, so we didn't meet and fall in love on the Camino. So that part of the story is, is entirely made up. Uh, many of the characters were inspired by people we met on the Camino. Many of the smaller stories and anecdotes came from from real
0: life. And and you write from Zoe's perspective, Graham from Martin's. Then then you you join the merge the two the two journeys. But it, it's interesting. How did the process work? The actual writing work. Could you take us through that process? Perhaps Anne, could you tell us how you uh, how you work sure. how you worked it out?
2: Well, um, well, to begin with, we we're both planners. I mean, Graham more so than me. But even when I um, start a book, I have the chapters kind of at least a line for what each chapter is going to cover. Graham tends to do it in a lot more detail. But with this one, we had to do it in a lot of detail. Um, So we we discussed the characters, we discussed the plot, we knew exactly what was going to happen. But probably very unwisely, we thought in the first instance, we'd have two completely separate books, like a his and hers. We had this picture of people sitting up in bed, one reading one, one reading the other, and kind of laughing and saying, oh... Martin's an idiot and Martin, the person reading Martin's book saying, oh no, Zoe's too flaky. Um, but uh, our publishers were not so keen on that as an idea and we probably should have discussed it with them before we'd written it because the time we took it to the publishers, we had two eighty thousand word books. So we did give it to some readers in that format. But they very quickly told us that they read a couple of chapters of one book and then went to the other one and read a couple of chapters of that. So very quickly it became obvious we had to alternate the chapters. We did think briefly about doing it from the other gender's perspective. But as soon as the characters started to emerge, it was just so obvious which one was going to be easier and that we were going to relate to more. Because as I was on the Camino, whilst I wasn't having a religious experience, I was certainly interested in that aspect of it much more than Graham. Um, Graham didn't talk about what the change he made on the Camino, but as a psychiatrist, we, we do a lot of stuff with mindfulness. For what I would say, he was forced into mindfulness, meaning that he had to live in the moment and started really noticing his surroundings. And that became a, kind of an important thing for what his char- happens to his character. So we were just kind of, the affinity for each character was not just gender-related, but what their journeys were. And as I alluded to earlier, I had some grief issues I was not dealing with particularly well, and then that really informed Zoe's essentially pathological or or delayed grief that she has um, as well. So, um, And then having decided we had to do alternating chapters, I chopped and changed and pulled it all together, cut it a little bit. Graham said, you haven't cut it very much, have you? And proceeded to edit it a lot more. Um, And then then there was a lot of work. It sat for a long time, um, but then there was a lot of work, sort of fine details, making sure that the end of one chapter flowed into the next, obviously getting rid of things that we were repeating uh, and and deciding who was the best person, i.e. the best character to tell which story. And that was mostly pretty obvious. Um, and then, yeah, we actually rewalked the Camino, um, as we were fleshing out those kind of finer points of character and place, and so we rewalked it last year, again starting in Clooney, but this time we finished on the Camino Frances because we'd heard so much about it that we thought we really needed to be able to compare it to the original walk we did, even though our book is set on our original walk.
0: So did you walk the entire Frances? We did. Oh, terrific. And I have
2: to say, it's for those intrepid walkers who do the Camino Francis and start in St. John Port and do day one to Ron Cervales, they have my utter admiration because for us that was day 45 and we were very fit by then. So we, we actually did it quite easily. But my goodness, of all the Camino we did that day one from um, St. John Port to Ron Cervales is by far the hardest.
0: That's so funny. That is so true. I walked. Uh, I arrived in Santiago on October fourth this year. I've only been back a couple of weeks. Uh, it was my second Camino, and I walked from Lourdes. So I had about a week. Or just oh wow! Over, I had just over a week, and I felt the same way. I was pr- pretty match fit, and uh, I did it pretty easily. But yeah, a lot of people, I think. Uh, it's a pretty. That
1: was a tough day. Yeah, it's a bit of
0: a slap in the face, a bit of a wake up call. Because it's, and I have here actually as a, as a as a question. Perhaps I could put it uh, to you, Graham. It's no holiday, is it?
1: It's no holiday. Look, I, I have to come back and say yes, it is. <laughs> um, really, um, okay. There's, there are times when you work pretty hard at the walking, but it's not a technical walk. I mean, you never you have to use your hands or anything like that. It's always walking. Um, the terrain, particularly on the Camino Frances, is, is reasonably kind. I mean, it's up and down, but the surface you're walking on is is seldom too difficult. You're able to walk in light boots and so on. And we carried pretty light packs. And, you know, when we say, when you look for holiday, you think, what would you like? Well, I know what I would like is to see some new places, perhaps meet some new people, um, eat good food, drink a lot or a reasonable amount, and, you know, and not, not spend too much money. And the Camino really offers you all of those, all of those things. And you've got the advantage that after you know three months, if you like, of, of eating too much, it doesn't matter because you're walking 30 kilometers with an <laughs> up and down map with, with a backpack on. The only negative is that if you've done it for that long, it's become a habit and you come back and you continue eating right like and drinking like that, and it's not a good thing.
0: <laughs> I know when I came back, I couldn't get anybody to have a, 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 a Tinto di Verano with me at midday, but that's another, <laughs> that, that's another story. So let, let's talk about the journey that led to the book. And you're a psychiatrist. Why do you think you, – you just t- talked earlier about a decision to change your life. Why do you think the, the Camino has this energy, this ability to change lives?
2: Um, look, I think there's two things to do with it. Well, we do a lot of walking. So um, I'm, I can sort of speak from point of view of I've done the Coast to Coast, which is about three weeks across England, Hadrian's Wall, which is, again, across England a bit shorter. We've done Wicklow Way, Queen Charlotte Walk. All of these walks are all under three weeks. And so one big difference with the Camino is it's longer. And in the rhythm of the walking, uh, for that length of time... You get into a particular, or you have to get into a particular mindset to survive it. I think the people who don't are the ones that take the buses, um, and that's fine. Everyone does the Camino in their own way, but by by getting through the tough stuff and including them in the setup, so, you know the tough flat, hot bit in the middle, um, we actually really enjoyed that. It was kind of a nice change, having it a bit flatter. Um, but it's it's actually having that, getting in or living the moment. Um, and so that that's a very big difference. And you can't, when you start off, even if you start off in St. John Peter Port, you can't think 880 kilometres or whatever it is. You've got to do one day at a time. So when we started, of course, it was 2,000 kilometres. And there's no way you can get up and say, wow, only 1,900 kilometres still to go. <laughs> you've, got to just, you've just got to think, okay, I, I did 25 k's yesterday. I can do the same thing today. So it's a very specific mindset. Um, and then the second thing is that I think when you start um, a Camino, even if you're not religious, it comes with this title of pilgrimage. And I think most people, not necessarily all, but most people, that they do it for a reason. That they, Even if they don't know it, that there is something they're sorting through or do they want that headspace and therefore that problem is brewing in the back of their head and they're giving themselves the space to do it.
0: And then, well,
1: that's my Yeah,
0: well, I found space and time. Graham, in developing characters, uh, Zoe and, and Martin in particular for you, you would have had to get into their minds in a way. Uh, what do you think we can learn about ourselves then in walking and walking long distances?
1: Well, I mean, getting into Zoe and Martin's minds, um, you, a character is always... Um, something ex- external to you, people you've met, people, you, people you've seen, people you've heard about, and then a certain amount of yourself. You have to be able to inhabit that character. Um, I think we we can't help but learn about ourselves um, on something like a Camino because you're taking on um, a major challenge, and the way that you take on that major challenge is going to tell you something about yourself. I mean, do you give up um, when things get tough? Um, do you... As to manage it one day at a time. What sort of mindset do you get into? And but frankly, it was something that we'd never... It was unlike anything we'd done before um, when we walked in for the first time. And I think whenever you do that, you learn something about yourself. And, and then
2: you can put that into your character. Yeah. Or, or imagine your character. Because Zoe comes from a very different background and I've never been in her situation. Um, so I had to, you know, obviously take that on board. And we talked to, certainly on the Camino you know, Francis sort of refining her Americanism, if you like. Um, we've lived in America for a while, so that also helped inform it. But you had to, you know, inhabit and see the world a bit through her eyes. And even though it bits of me and bits of my girlfriends and bits of people we met, um, it was then thinking, well, okay, how would she be on the Camino and why would she react in certain ways?
1: Yeah, I think I think one, one aspect of it, I think we tried to contrast with Zoe and Martin. When Zoe sets out on a spiritual journey, she gets that, that's what she's trying to do. Yeah. She's trying to resolve her grief. She understands that, but she's ignored the fact that it's also a physical and practical journey. And a great deal of her learning comes from learning to rely on herself physically and gain that sort of confidence. Conversely, Martin um, sets out purely to, with a physical challenge in mind. That's all he sees, without realising that he's got some serious, psychological issues that he needs to work through and and they begin to surface as he um, overcomes the physical
0: side. Yeah, and there's a lot of that in all of us who have walked the Camino and and it's something to consider if you're thinking of walking about uh, walking the Camino de Santiago. And 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 you mentioned there uh, about something you were going through and that was grief. And and Zoe goes through the same the same exploration in dealing with grief. I interviewed uh, Elsa Piper and Tony Doherty, Australian authors who have a book out uh, called The Attachment. And uh, uh, Elsa walked to grieve her late husband. And there's a great, as I say, with that space and time, there's a lot of space and time to deal with things. So, Anne, why do you think you were seeking or did you have that in the back of your mind as you headed out onto the Camino de Santiago. That I hope this will help me deal with my grief, or did it emerge and surprise you?
2: I had. It uh, totally surprised me. I had no idea about it. I thought I was doing brilliantly.
0: Right. Um, yeah. As a,
2: as a psychiatrist, well, my problem is I'm. A, I'm senior, and it, this, this was a, a work related um, incident, and i meant helped. Um, other people, you know, shepherded them off to get debriefing and all of that sort of thing and didn't look after myself. Thought I was doing fine, but really wasn't. I wasn't able to talk about this particular um, incident without bursting into tears. And and it really took the entire walk for me to even acknowledge that. Um, and after I got... And I would say that I don't think the Camino ever solves all problems. Because it was basically like just before I finished that I realized the problem. It was not like I was sitting thinking through it all, um, though maybe there was some stuff going on. But what it did do was made me realize I needed to go and see someone. So I actually went and got some coun, went to see a counselor when I got back, a um, psychiatrist colleague. And it only took one session. Um, so it's like it unearthed all of the issues and the one session with this psychiatrist just absolutely got to the point which was where i got, to, you know, where, where it had been stuck, really, and I was fine after that. Um, well, still, grace is always yeah. there, but, it, you know, it worked through it then.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting when you said earlier that um, when you decided on the Camino to write more, you also decided to worry less. Oh, and, and we could yes. all worry less, couldn't we?
2: Well, we certainly could. I mean... One of the other the interesting kind sort of outcomes of the Camino for me is up until that point in time, I had a bit of a clothes habit. Like, you know, I really like clothes and I'd buy something virtually every week. And for three months, um, I had one change of clothes, washed every night. And I just, when we got back, I just had no desire to buy clothes at all. Um, basically, was quite happy with what I had and I had more than enough and really didn't Buy anything for a couple of years. And now, look, I'd buy an occasional piece, but rarely, you know, nothing, nothing like what I used to. Um, so that's kind of really fascinating kind of outcome from that point of view, too.
1: You know, I had very much the same experience of those without the clothes habit, but, um, you know, they say if you don't use something for 12 months, then why not get rid of it? Well, you know, we walked for three months with you know, six to 10 kilograms on our backs, um, and in, including the weight of the packs. And we did pretty well with just that amount. And, and truly, I came back with a very different perspective on material possessions, on, on the importance of them in life.
0: Well, yes, um, <laughs> that's been a bit of a revelation for me, coming back just in the last couple of weeks, to be completely honest. Uh, I keep saying to my wife, just throw it out. I couldn't care less. And she can't believe it. She, she's,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, did, I didn't come back and throw out all my CDs or all my books or anything like that or, or, or throw out the the, yeah, the the plasma screen or anything. I just, and I would have probably said before I went on the walk, they weren't that important to me. But after the walk, it was a genuine, deeply felt thing that if they were to all disappear tomorrow, it wouldn't really matter very much. I could have proved it to myself.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let me pick up on something there. Graham. you ended up picking up an abandoned screen script that became The Rosie Project, the international bestseller. So it's fair to say that that success has afforded you a certain freedom. Is this new book then a a labour of love?
1: All the books are. I don't think either of us have ever written to make money. Um, You would be very misguided, I think, if if you wrote with that expectation. Sure, um, because it's you know if that happens to fall into your lap as, as it has with the Rosie project, that's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but we you know, pri- when I wrote the Rosie project, I had a day job, so I had a source of income, and still got a day job. She's got a source of income, so neither of us relied on it. Now that the Rosie project's been very really successful, that's my source of income. So I- I'm not writing so I can eat. Um, I'm writing the stuff. Both of us, I don't think either of us are compromised by um, by the need to to sell a million copies.
0: Yeah, but but having said that, uh, have you written together before? Is this the first time you've worked together like this? Because you've been married for 28 years, haven't you?
1: Yeah, look, we've always written together and first started um, writing novels. Um, I think it would be 27, 28 years ago. I mean, she'd done that before we were together, but... Now, on her first wedding anniversary, she said she really wanted to write a novel. I encouraged her so to do, and I helped her plan it. And particularly, I read her her early drafts and her last draft of the novel before it just sort of stumbled at the last, the last hurdle. Then, when we came back to doing it, Anne wrote some erotic fiction for a start. Um, I was working on the Rosie project. We always talked about the outlines together. We've always been each other's first and last readers. So, this was really just an extension of the fact that we've always worked together.
0: How lovely. Well, then, now let me take you back to the Camino de Santiago. Would you recommend couples walking together?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. We, we came off the Camino de Santiago. We'd actually spent, and had had a sabbatical before that, so we'd, prior to that, we'd spent um, six, seven months living in a tiny apartment um, in New York, which is a wonderful experience, but without that many social contacts or anything, And our kids came and stayed with us, and they knew that we'd walked the Camino. And they said, God, your marriage must be reasonably solid if you can spend that amount of time (laughs) in each other's company." And I would say, look, we are very accustomed. We really enjoyed spending that amount of time together because prior to that, um, our jobs had been very demanding. It had taken us off in different directions. So it's a little bit of a test in some ways to say, all right, now this is what we wanted, to have time together. All right, we've got it in spades. And we saw couples on the Camino who walked apart, um, who just didn't want to spend that much time in each other's company, who would rather go and meet new people and so forth. For us, it was a, a fabulous um, under, underlining of the fact that we can spend a lot of time together and it's affected some of the life decisions we've made about where we live, how we live since then. So very important. But look, I would say to a couple, it's, it's something to try out. Not every couple is meant to be together all the time. This is going to check that out and you can work it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so much has happened since that 2011 Camino. Indeed, you were back last year. If we take the book out of the equation, which is kind of ridiculous to say, but do you still feel a sense of connection with the Camino? Anne?
2: Um, I... I've, I've, I had the, probably the strongest and most immediate kind of response from it, That it's it's always been, and I've read Elsa Piper's um, memoir. I've read lots of memoirs, um, as well, of course, Coelho, Coelho, The Pilgrimage, so um, a strong sense of connection. We, we, we like walking still, and as long as our bodies hold out, we want to do some more. We were going to try and do the Camino del Plata next year, but the UK book tour was just going to get in the way, so it just won't, won't happen. But um, we will do more Caminos. Possibly, though, next time uh, we might actually walk from central France to Rome. Yeah, I, um, want
1: to, I want to interrupt here because mm-hmm. I think there's something different as well. Mm-hmm. That that That's always been the way we were, wanting to check things off, do different things, have new adventures. I think the thing that was very different was the fact that in 2016, we wanted to walk it again, the same route. And we would have never envisaged that we'd want, we, we couldn't believe these people had done it more than once when, before we actually did it. And yet, as soon as we'd finished that walk, within you know, within a few months, we were sort of looking at that route again and saying, wow, wouldn't it be great to walk it again? And and we went and we did the same thing at a time when we had all the other possibilities of walking different routes in front of us. Mm. And so, that was the connection. Yeah. So yeah.
0: okay. So let me ask you this then. You, you say that there were days on the Camino when you thought today will be the last day, only to find yourselves back again the next day. So what is the allure? That was Anne.
1: <laughs> <laughs> only only happened a couple of times. <laughs> it was Anne. We had an agreement before we started that if she wanted to give up, she had to walk on for one more week. That she had to, and at the end, at the end of that week, she wanted to give up. That was absolutely going to be the end. And at one stage, she held out on me for a whole week, saying, no, I don't want to do this thing anymore. And she told me later, she'd long ago decided that she was going to do it. She was just uh, making me suffer a bit.
2: (laughs) It was was really just one day. I just kind of thought, I can't stand it. But, yeah. Yeah, but, but I was very happy to do it again. There was this kind of... You know, we were back in the same village and looking out across the hill with the scallop shells heading us up, you know, thinking, oh, we could just go and do it again. And, and a lot of great memories, a lot of great... But when we did it the second time, we knew the places that we didn't enjoy quite so much um, and, in fact, had an upgraded experience because anywhere we didn't enjoy... We, we repeated the ones we liked um, and the ones that we didn't, uh, we found somewhere better. And we were a bit more... We knew the ropes a bit better, so we stayed in some great places.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it the the ability to sort of uh, to to improve on the time before because of that mm. that little bit of experience. And did you did you mingle with the other pilgrims? Were you part of a, a Camino tribe, as I call it?
2: Well, the, the the walk in France is well. First of all, from again we started in winter, though a little later, and we didn't see anyone between Cluny and La Yeah. Then between Lapui and, um, Saint-Jean, you do get quite a few French and German walkers, but, um, the English, well, the English is okay, but often it's limited what your sort of conversation is, because my French is dreadful. Um, I mean, the Germans tend to speak quite good English. Um, and well, we had a few fun nights in, in um, hostels with, with other, the French, and there was a French-Canadian woman, and we all cooked up together and stuff. Um, but a lot of them were only doing two weeks not the whole lot. Um, but then when, of course, we hit the Camino Francis, it was um, party, rolling party, really. Um, and we had a lot to do, we met up with a lot of people, and that made it a very different Camino to our first experience. I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know that I've would enjoyed it as much. Well, the reason we didn't do the Camino Francis the first time is because deep down I knew I needed solitude and, and time out. Yeah. Um, but the second time, I didn't need that. In fact, we wanted to meet lots of people, and Americans in particular, to kind of help with the Zoe character. And we had a great Camino Francis, you know, met lots of people. As we've been doing the book tour around Australia, um, we, we've met up again with the, the Queenslanders, the Sydney woman, and the Adelaide nurses that we met. So they've all come to our book events and uh, we've met up with them and uh, it's been a
1: lot of fun. I guess I guess, for people listening at home, um, we, we, the, the Camino Frances, I'm sure you've talked about this, sir, is, is is by no means like a football crowd lead, leading, a, leading a stadium or anything like that. I mean, you can still get solitude, except for those last 100 kilometres where people are doing just a minimum 100 to earn their, their compost salvage certificate. Um, but the rest of it... Um, during the day, you have a reasonable level of isolation if you want it, um, unlike, say, the uh, the Inca Trail, which is, can be wall-to-wall people. Um, but in the evenings, you really are, you know, unless you're very selective about the hotels and that you stay, you know, the hostels not going to be a bunch of people.
0: Yeah. I I I, I love that some days, and, and perhaps other days I was a bit frustrated by it, but it's 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 part and parcel of the Francis yeah. journey, isn't it? Well,
2: I... What I loved about it and it made a difference to the first one is we walked in with a whole lot of people. Um, and or not not just walked in, but we were there in Santiago for a couple of nights. So the next day people would have kind we knew that had fallen behind, we were there to, to greet them in. Um, and I, I went to, this time I went to the Santiago Cathedral, which I hadn't done the first time for reasons that escaped me. Um and saw the the Montefineri Montefineri. swing, the <laughs> swing. Um and the first time I cried just like Zoe did when I saw the cathedral, as we had been told by um our our equivalent of Monsieur Chevalier, uh, who was Monsieur Sotto, I think, be, yeah. who, who back in Cluny gave us our passport and the first stamp and he said we would get blisters, which I didn't the first time and I would cry, which I did. But the second time I cried when I saw or you know, the tears welled up when I saw that uh, the swinging of the, the sensor, and it was just magic.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is magic. It is magic. Um, some Camino questions, because I always get asked, Dan, why didn't you ask, did you carry your own packs?
2: Yes. Yeah, uh, very light. Um, so my job was to wash the socks every night, and Graham's <laughs> was to... we, we did and the it, underwear? Yeah. Oh, and the underwear, yeah. And whatever needed washing, I washed it. Um and uh, which was great. In France, we started in winter, so the heaters were on, so they'd always dry. Oh, yeah. It was a bit more of a problem in Spain. And, and the pictures and videos that we've got of me—you know—I've got swinging underwear coming coming off my backpack, crying <laughs> 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 because the heaters were no longer on. Um, so, yeah, carried our packs. War, never took a taxi. Um, we had two days off, one day in St John Peterport and one day in San Sebastian because it was my birthday in San Sebastian. Um, no days of alcohol. Yeah, we, we, we ate well, drank well. <laughs> we didn't didn't tend to stay in dormitories, though. I mean, we did stay in some dormitories, but there tended to be no one in them um, when we were there. Um, and once we hit the Camino Francis, we tended to, if we were in a dormitory, we tended to book a single room. Um, the, that So we might have been sharing bathrooms and that, but we um, had our own bed space.
0: Let me ask you, and if I could take you back for one more night on your Camino, where would I take you, Anne? Where would I drop you for one more night? Somewhere you'd love to um, revisit.
2: Well, we did we did that by car recently with our kids, and I went back to conch.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so, there you go. You did it. Um,
2: so, but if I did another one, look, it's hard to pick. I mean, I, I love San Sebastian because, of course, we haven't repeated the Camino del Norte. Um, and there's also – look, there's so many. There's so many great spots. And what was hardest about the novel was actually – Chopping things out because like, chopping places and things that have been inspired by our walk, um, lots of fabulous places. And, and, but if they weren't, you know, making the story progress, we had to cut them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Santolina del Mar still gets mentioned, and I love Santolina del Mar. There's an Inquisition um, museum. Is it, is it on the
1: Camino del Norte? Yeah, that's the
2: Camino del Norte. Um, that was a gorgeous little town, and we start, and they have. Um, they, they do cider, um, out of these taps where the glass is like about a foot or two below the taps coming out and that aerates it. Um so it was just these quaint little differences, and that was, was really great. Um, but there's so many great places along the way. And in many ways, that's why we did that French section the second time, so we could relive all of those. Um, but we, we haven't been back along that Spanish coastal section. And I have to say, if anyone wanted to do just two weeks and didn't want the rolling party of the Camino Francis but still wanted to finish in Santa Delina of uh, Santiago, then the Camino Primitivo is... Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And much quieter. And much quieter. We did it, so we came in, we finished May 14th that time, so all of the heather was out, so the the hills were literally alive with purple flowers. It was very hilly, so it was certainly not you know easy walking by any means, but just beautiful, and there were other people. We met a, a bunch of Brazilians on the Camino Primitivo, and that inspired... The, uh, the Brazilians in in two
1: steps forward.
0: Fantastic. And Graham, somewhere you'd like to return to to visit again?
1: Yeah, you know what? It was on the Camino Frances, and it wasn't a sense of place. It was a camaraderie. Um, we just had one night where there was some good food and some plenty of wine drunk, and we all ended up doing that whole cliche—a of, 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 of guy with a guitar—and I had my mouth all with my harmonica out, and, and you know, people singing, and it was just. Um, we actually translated that scene into Ostabat, um in yeah uh, you know, on the getting near the french spanish border um in the uh, in the book in two steps forward um but combined two completely different experiences one of the sort of camaraderie and the other of being a really really cold hospital where the proprietor told us to drink Mark to warm ourselves up so um yeah i mean for me that was yeah you know, the food and the pe- the food and the and the booze and the people that sort of Social thing was uh, was terrific, but you know I had wonderful experiences too that were much more um, much more about solitude.
0: Yeah, yeah, time and space. Look, I won't give away the story. Suffice to say, it's a cracking yarn, and it's been optioned by Ellen DeGeneres for the big screen as well. How exciting! It
1: is. Apparently, she was looking for a, a story of, of midlife renewal. And, and you know, this is this is the way the book, The, the Two Steps Forward, has come out, it's been received. We started off writing it as a romantic comedy, and when we realised that we were writing older people, romantic comedy doesn't work the same way for older people, because generally they've got baggage they've got to deal with first, and it actually ends up as being a story of renewal with a romantic comedy subplot. And I think that works for a lot of people, yeah. I mean, particularly men, like the romantic comedy to be a little in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah no it's great it's a great yarn, and it's it's very it's it's a lovely read it's very nice to read and it's it being from two different perspectives, you can kind of move with the characters really comfortably i I really enjoyed it, but I have one last question and it's for you, the psychiatrist because, because I arrived back from the Camino as I said just weeks ago, and I walked with people who became. Attached became couples, as it were, with a sort, and it was a very, it was a very fierce affection. It was, it was very alive. Um, so, why do you think people fall in in love on the Camino? I saw it, I saw it, I saw it everywhere.
2: Yeah, well, well, there's a couple of things. Is is the um, I think it goes back to the Camino, the pilgrimage kind of concept. So that the people are going on it for a reason, and, and is the practicalities of it. Look at the two age groups that do the Camino Francis. You're either in your early 20s because you haven't started a job yet and certainly haven't had kids, and therefore you're unlikely to have a partner. And let's face it, our early 20s is all about hooking up. Um, (laughs) And the other groups that do it are the ones that are post that, where the kids are off their hands, um, and a lot of them are grieving a partner or a, a divorce. So they've got an obviously missing something in their life and whilst they might not have gone on it specifically to find a partner, that is part of, you know, the emptiness that they're looking to fill. So it's not really all that surprising when you kind of think of it. Um, And it's such an intense experience. You're really challenging yourself, particularly mid-lifers, because I think, you know, there's this whole thing of what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Do I really want to be in the job I am in? Can I still do this? Um, And there's a degree of that. When we did the Inca Trail, there was a baby boomer on it. There's a a kilometre, like, vertical down pretty much in the Inca Trail. And on every corner, there was a baby boomer nursing a a bung knee. So there is an element of, you know, is our bodies going to hold out for this? And and that puts a lot of pressure on yourself, and it's also a very intense experience. And if you happen to be sharing that with someone who's new and exciting and sharing all the same things, it, it's an obvious place to start bonding.
0: Oh, what a great explanation! That, just, <laughs> that is so true. And the people and people are so caring and sharing and willing to share and to care as pilgrims, aren't yeah. they? That's one of the great that things about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we've had people ask us, "Did you ever feel unsafe on the Camino?" And on four thousand kilometres of Camino walking, we never felt under threat or or, or unsafe. And yeah, on the contrary, um, people rallied around, people were supportive. There was that real sense of um, of mutual endeavour and of just you know people being decent.
2: And to that really, without wanting to say, give away any plot. Um when we were looking how to finish the book, there really was only one way. And that, to me, embodied all of
0: yeah. that Camino spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I know. It's fantastic. Well, congratulations to the both of you and thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, not just about the book, but also about the wider Camino, Camino experience. And uh, mm-hmm. congratulations. Good luck. I, I think your journey's just beginning, isn't it?
2: Well... We, we, we certainly haven't planned an end in sight at
1: the
0: moment. We've got quite a way to go. I, I trust
1: that two is, you're not going to stop at two, are you, Dan? I beg your pardon?
0: You're not going to stop at two? No, no, no. <laughs> you, you just started talking about the, the uh, Primitivo and actually I sort of ran it by my wife last night, so I don't know that uh, she'll be listening to this podcast in the next couple of days saying, no, no, not again, but... Look, I'll be back and I'm certain you'll be back and perhaps our paths will cross one day. Congratulations to you both and thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank Great. you so much.
0: There you are, Graham Simpson and Anne Buist. The book is called Two Steps Forward, a novel of mature love and self-discovery set on the Camino de Santiago. You can get a hard copy or ebook from the website, the publisher's Text Publishing and the website is textpublishing.com a u. Do yourself a favour. It's the perfect gift for under the Christmas tree and I see absolutely no harm in buying gifts for yourself. Look, that's all we have time for this week. You've been listening to My Camino, the podcast. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino.